Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by explorebrevard.com. Picture yourself in the middle of 100,000 acres of public lands and over 300 shreddable miles of single track. A place often referred to as one of the top mountain biking towns in the country, Brevard, North Carolina has countless epic adventures for every kind of rider on tap. Whether you love rocky, rooty, technical lines in Pisgah or flowy lines in DuPont State Recreational Forest or something in between, Brevard has it all in spades. Come discover the place often referred to as the cycling capital of the South. Start planning your trip today at explorebrevard.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Dr. Adam Fanuff. Adam is a doctor of chiropractic with a degree in exercise science based in Bellingham, Washington. He's also a bike fitter and has studied bicycle biomechanics. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. So tell us a little bit about your cycling background and how has that intersected your education and, and ultimately your profession? Well, um, I mean, I started riding as a kid and then uh, that, you know, kind of t- faded away as I grew older. And um, and then I ended up revisiting bikes uh, in the middle of my uh, undergrad uh, education. Hmm. Uh, I started uh, getting into road riding a little bit and uh, did a fair amount of dirt jumping as well. I uh, kind of okay. got into those two disciplines. <laughs> those and, are pretty like opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't want to <laughs> show up wearing lycra to the dirt jumps. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, you know, I was studying exercise science and uh, I, it kind of was right in line with, uh, with my interest in riding. I actually mm-hmm. even had an opportunity to, uh, to work on a, a research project uh, involving time trial positioning uh, and that kind of, oh, cool. yeah, that definitely was something that, that piqued my interest um, and uh, kind of stuck with me uh, later on. And then um, after, after undergrad, I moved out to uh, moved out to Portland, Oregon to get my chiropractic education. And that's where mountain biking really took over for me. I mm. quickly sold my road bike, bought a mountain bike, <laughs> Got to know a lot of the great trail systems that are around that area. Um, did a lot of riding over in the Sandy Ridge Trail System and Hood oh, River cool. area. Uh, yeah, it was a great place to really learn how to mountain bike. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that love of mountain biking just kind of flourished and um, ended up moving up to Bellingham, Washington shortly after graduating uh, from chiropractic school. And uh, so... Uh, and obviously the riding here is quite incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's supposed to, supposed to be a secret. Every time I mention it, people are like, don't, don't tell anybody. We don't want people. Yeah. Don't to come tell here. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the secret's almost out at this point, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so yeah, you know, I, I, mountain biking really took off for me, um, after moving out to the West coast and, um, I, you know, I was, I was seeing patients, I was practicing as a chiropractor, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, uh, you know, I kept having, uh, early on in my career, I had, uh, had a lot of patients, uh, uh, that were riders. You know, I was plugged into mm-hmm. the riding scene. I was, you know, doing a lot of riding, meeting a lot of people mm-hmm. who ride and, uh, and I was working with a lot of them. So, um, but I was, you know, kept having these, uh, you know, issues with like pain or, you know, or, um, you know, tendonitis or whatnot, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, have, people were having pain and it was really directly related to riding and I didn't really have an answer for that. Um, hmm. uh, and there weren't really any good bike fitters and or not, or there, there weren't really many bike fitting opportunities in town. People didn't really mm-hmm. have any place to go. Um, and so I said, well, I'm going to figure this out because I love riding and I love, talking about riding and mm-hmm. I might as well get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it really, it, yeah, it, it, I went and, uh, did some, uh, bike fitting education with, uh, with bike PT, um, which is kind of a, uh, bike fitting education that's based, uh, around kind of a clinical lens, um, hmm. and, you know, really delves into remedying, you know, um, remedying pain and, you know, musculoskeletal conditions mm-hmm. through bike fit. Um, and so it ended up really paying off. I really had a lot of success with getting a lot of people out of pain and, uh, you know, gradually I had more and more people come in just to feel, you know, uh, feel more comfortable or, mm-hmm. you know, improve performance, uh, started working with, uh, with a, a couple of the, the race teams in the area. And, uh, then, uh, yeah, things just kind of really took off from there and, uh, been, been, you know, enjoying Bellingham and riding bikes and fit, bike fitting has been a, uh, growing, uh, part of my work day. Um, I'd yeah. say, you know, it's growing to be, you know, it's not, a, it's getting close to, uh, you know, 40, 50% of the work that I do during the week. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Well, and when you were riding just sort of for fun, was bike fit something you ever really thought about? Like, was that something that you struggled with or like, yeah. Or was it, I mean, for a lot of us, it's just like, oh, we just ride bikes and we don't really think about a fit until something is like really wrong. But was that something that you were like conscious of at least? You know, not early on, to be honest. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a reactive thing, uh, mm. you know, when I was thinking about bike fit. And I, uh, I was also really, you know, being really new to mountain biking at the time. Uh, I didn't really understand that there's a lot of ways that you can make your bike more comfortable, not just from a, like a pain perspective, but even from mm-hmm. a handling uh, perspective as well. Yeah. So it really, um, yeah, it wasn't something that I really considered uh, until um, uh, until I was actually seeing it clinically. Um, uh, and um, yeah, that's kind of kind of where things really started. The light bulb kind of started to turn on, and I yeah. realized that there's a, this is an important thing and, and there's a lot, a lot more to it. And gradually, even after my, you know, initial education with, uh, with bike fitting, um, there was a lot of, a lot of self-study, a lot of, you know, reading research and, um, and kind of developing my own concepts and opinions about, uh, Mm. about bike fit and especially how it relates to, uh, biomechanics. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned bike handling and I'm curious to know how important bike fit is to mountain bikers compared to say road bikers or gravel bikers. And then even within mountain biking, like are cross country riders going to benefit more from a fit than say gravity riders, or is it, or is it like a really, it sounds like it's a more holistic 
uh, sort of thing where you're, you're addressing not just efficiency and pedaling and that sort of thing, but handling too. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'd say bike fits equally important between mountain bikers and road riders, gravel riders, really, you know, cockpit setup is aimed at achieving a lot of different goals throughout disciplines, Mm -hmm. but riders generally want to have an ideal amount of control over their handling. And even, even on top of that, most do prefer to assume the most efficient or comfortable pedaling, pedaling position on their bike. Um, so Hmm. I mean, whether, yeah, whether you're an XC racer or you're riding enduro or you are out for a gravel ride, you want to be in control of your bike and you want to be comfortable on it. And so bike fit has a place in, in, in all those disciplines of riding. Um, and it's, uh, you know, yeah, maybe it's not to be, you know, putting out the most power, but I mean, if you're going to be doing an enduro race and you're climbing 6,000 feet of elevation in one day, better be ready to be comfortable. So, (laughs) right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what are some of the signs that somebody needs a better bike fit? You mentioned pain. So I guess that's, that's sort of the big one, right? Uh, yeah, you know, um, dead giveaway really is the presence of pain. So that's, that is definitely the, the big sign that you need for, that you may need a bike fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I like to say that riding can be a lot of things. You know, it could be fun. It could be challenging. Um, but it should never be painful. Uh, mm-hmm. Painful is definitely something that riding should not be. Um, but you know, some other signs that you might need a bike fit, you know, they can include like numbness in your hands or feet or saddle mm-hmm. region, um, even like hand fatigue, shoulder fatigue, and then of course, um, uh, undesirable handling as well. So, mm-hmm. um, kind of doubling back to the question about, you know, gravity riders, um, even, you know, taking a second look at cockpit and even suspension setup, mm-hmm. uh, can be, uh, can, can be extremely valuable. So I don't, I don't think that that um that there's really any exclusions with bike fit it's just different goals that you're trying to accomplish and uh and uh you know there are different uh different things that you can adjust on a bike that are valued more in certain disciplines versus others yeah that's interesting so yeah you mentioned suspension is that part of a bike fit that that you would actually help somebody tune that up i mean it's not something i would traditionally think of as bike fitting but again it does seem to fit like with the whole looking at the whole picture. Yeah, really we're trying to create a bike that is behaving how you want it to behave and behave mm-hmm. predictably. Um, and so sometimes if, you know, if you're not maximizing the, uh, the value of your suspension, a bike can just feel terrible. Um, hmm. so, um, yeah, I do offer services for suspension setup and tuning. Um, again, it, a lot of it really is a conversation, um, and, uh, determining, you know, what, um, what people, what terrain people prefer to ride, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, and really say, you know, seeing how much of your travel you're using, what's your sag, you know, and really even setting up sag appropriately yeah. is, uh, is, uh, is not something that's always done, uh, you know, uh, on, you know, at the trailhead. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting too. You mentioned the the types of pain that people have, you know, like they have pain in their arms or their hands, maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's in the saddle area and it seems like a lot of people, especially beginners, they figure, Oh, I, I need like more padding on my saddle or like, I need some of those gel grips or <laughs> something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, it sounds like you're saying really that's, that should, says you don't have a good bike fit because it shouldn't be uncomfortable. Right. Right. Exactly. So yeah, if you're, if you're changing components to make something dramatically more comfortable, 
chances are you're going to be chasing your tail on that. Um, mm. There's always exceptions to the rule, but really, you know, um, there's, there's a bike fit is really a sum of its parts. And, you know, you can see, you can see those, those, um, those things add up in certain areas, depending on what's, you know, what's going on with your bike fit. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, usually it's, um, you know, changing a component isn't necessarily going to, uh, remedy something if you're in the wrong position to start with. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what, what types of improvements can mountain bikers expect to see from a fitting and like how dramatic do you have like kind of examples or case studies of people that have really benefited from a bike fit? Yeah, really. I mean, I'd say half of the, half of the people that come to me are looking to remedy some sort of pain, um, Mm -hmm. that, that is occurring. And that's a really easy, that's a really easy change to see because either the pain Mm -hmm. is there or it's not either it's improving or it's continuing. Um, so, you know, I'd say a lot of, a lot of the cases I see are knee pain, um, hand numbness, uh, and, uh, and low back pain as well. And low back pain Mm. is super common. Uh, uh, and, uh, and it's, you know, a lot of the time it's a pretty predictable fix, um, with, uh, you know, at least if it's fit related. So, Mm -hmm. um, I'd say, you know, 90% of, you know, bike related discomfort can be resolved with a bike fit alone. Um, and Mm. then the other 10% of cases, cases need a little bit more of a push with, you know, corrective exercise, rehab exercise and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, I mean, people can expect to just feel a little bit more comfortable, have less fatigue on, uh, on longer rides in certain areas. Um, and, uh, to, you know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that big climb, uh, right out of the trailhead is a little bit easier, uh, feels a little bit more natural. Um, Mm -hmm. and you have a better balance of muscular contraction, uh, between, you know, quads, hamstrings, glutes, what have you. So, yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of improvements both in, you know, remedying, remedying pain, but also, uh, just making riding feel easier. I mean, you really should, um, and having it feel more natural. I mean, you really mm. shouldn't have to think about your bike after you hop on it, you should be able to yeah. get on and then you ride. And then the next time you think about your bike is when you're hopping off, uh, it should huh. just be an extension of you. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like the goal. It sounds like, I mean, that's what we're all chasing for, right? Is like, yeah, just that feeling of being free on the bike and and not having to think about anything other than staying on the trail, I guess. Exactly. Moving on, moving through terrain without really noticing what's underneath you is Mm. is the goal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. Well, walk us through the bike fit process. Which measurements are you looking at and, and how do you actually do it? I mean, I imagine somebody brings their bike in with them and then, and then what? Yeah. So, you know, every bike fit really starts with a conversation. So I really want to understand what someone's priorities are and I really want to help them get the most out of their session together. So Mm -hmm. um, I'll kind of leave it a little open-ended to start and just ask them to tell me about the bike. What kind of terrain are you riding on? Um, Mm -hmm. And are you, are you typically focusing on one bike at a time? So, I mean, a lot of us probably have multiple bikes. And so you would say, this is, this is my mountain bike. Help me get a fit on this bike. Yes, it would be one bike at a time. Um, it, uh, yeah, definitely one bike at a time. Uh, it really just allows us to really be really focused and hone mm-hmm. in on, on, on a particular, uh, a particular fit there. So okay. yeah, that's a great question. 
Um, so yeah, we'll talk about, we'll chat about the bike, chat about how they've been feeling. Um, and really leaving it a little open-ended again, allows me to gauge what's most important to the rider that I'm fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after, you know, after we have a chat, we'll, you know, transition into a little bit of a biomechanical evaluation. Um, I'm really just assessing, you know, rider, a rider's mobility, strength, and preferred patterns of movement. So, hmm. And is that on the bike or is that like, you know, you do a, a deep knee bend and. Yeah. Yeah. So it's off the bike. Yeah. There's a series of movements. Yeah. There's definitely some knee bending and stuff. Um, it's all pretty, um, relative to the demands of riding. So I'm not going to ask, I'm really not interested in seeing somebody squat to the deepest of knee flexion and see how their knee behaves during that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we don't really do that while we're riding. Um, right. I'm mostly, I'm mostly, uh, concerned with the, you know, probably the first half of a single leg squat. Um, okay stuff like that. Um, I really want to see how, how ankle moves, how knee behaves, hips mm-hmm. work, hips are working, you know, see how all those different, especially from a, from a, you know, a hip down component. I want to see how all those different joints are operating and how, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's normal for that, for this person, this individual, mm-hmm. um, not everybody moves the same. And, uh, I think again, um, the, uh, I think the bike industry in general is a little, uh, obsessive with symmetry and mm. definitely there's been some ideal notions of what looks, you know, what looks perfect and what is mm-hmm. ideal. Um, and some are backed in research, some are not, some are just they're that way because it looks good because it's straight. Um, <laughs> right. it's simple. I mean, that's kind of just how, how our brains operate. Yeah. Yeah. And we do really want to simplify things and put things in boxes. Um, but there's definitely, uh, you know, with human movement, there's a lot more nuance and I think there's more than one way to be successful. Um, Mm. and I think, you know, you can see it even at the elite level, not everybody moves the same, you know, sport to sport. There's a lot of, a lot of ways to accomplish the same goal. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm not going to try and force somebody into a position that isn't natural for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if their ankle wants to evert a little bit more, um, and I'm not going to try and fight that, um, I'd rather have them, you know, under, you know, undergo the most efficient set of muscular contractions for them. Mm-hmm. Um, cause especially when concerned from like a performance standpoint, we don't really want to be contracting extra extra motor units if we don't have to we want to use the minimum amount of muscular contraction to generate the maximum amount of power output so Mm -hmm. um so if we're wasting energy trying to be in a what we've traditionally thought of an ideal position then that's not that's not a great situation to be in so um so yeah again you know long story short i think everybody's a little bit different and Mm -hmm. I use these, you know, use these series of movements and tests to determine what will possibly look normal for them on the bike. Um, and so that helps me gauge what I'm okay with and what's, you know, what is considered normal as far as, you know, what their pedal stroke looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. and then what would not be normal and what we would need to improve upon. So, yeah. Um, and then after a biomechanical evaluation, um, looking, uh, I'll take, just take a look at the bike, you know, set it up on the trainer, um, and see if there's anything that's like glaringly obvious, uh, Mm. you know, especially if it's related to, uh, discomfort. Um, Mm. uh, there, there are certain things that I can look for right off the bat, like, you know, um, that, uh, for example, like saddle tilt, 
um, you know, bar angle, break angle, stuff like that, mm-hmm. that would be related to a specific complaint um, that I could just kind of take right off the bat and change right away. Um, and then after that, I'll get the person on the bike. We'll do, um, you know, have them warm up a little bit and, you know, pedal, you know, just a kind of an easy steady state um, mm-hmm. uh, gearing and, Um, just kind of get them like a little more situated on the saddle and get warmed up a little bit, kind of see how their, how their body is behaving once it's a little bit warm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they almost, you know, they almost want to like start breaking a sweat almost uh, before we really even get, get, start to do any uh, uh, motion capture analysis or, Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, any static uh, measurements. So we'll do some, uh, you know, do some slow motion camera stuff. Uh, watch their pedal stroke from the side and from the front, uh, watch, uh, uh, take some, some views from, uh, from, from the back and see how their pelvis is moving. Um, and really just give us an idea as to what's actually happening during their pedal stroke. Um, yeah. Are people surprised like when they watch the video of themselves and saying, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it definitely happens on a regular basis. I mean, uh, I think that, um, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on all at the same time. And then being able to slow it down and actually see it is, mm-hmm. is really beneficial. And I think it's really, uh, it's a really powerful tool for communicating, uh, communicating, uh, concepts to riders mm-hmm. as, you know, because part of a bike fit really is also talking about, you know, pedaling mechanics, talking about positioning, um, you know, some stuff that does get talked about and covered in formal coaching, uh, but you know, I'm here just to kind of get the ball rolling, get their, mm-hmm. you know, get them thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, and it's, again, it's not a tool that we've always had, or it's a tool that, only, that you had to pay a lot of money for, but now yeah. you can use, I mean, you can use a phone to, right. you know, with a, with a tripod <laughs> and you can take really quality slow motion, uh, mm-hmm. capture. So, um, and it's, it's really, you know, and then you can send it to them. They can have it right there and they can see what, what, what they're, what, what's going on during their pedal yeah. stroke. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's super beneficial. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, it's been kind of a, kind of a revolution to have it in, in a handheld perspective and something that's very shareable for people. So, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we'll take some static measurements, you know, I'm looking for, you know, certain kind of a certain knee angle range, um, as far as, um, as far as, you know, how much extension are we getting, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, at least maximum amount of extension that we're getting through the knee. And it's not a set number because we have often, we have, you know, different, um, we have different goals for pe- for different people. So, mm-hmm. um, and this comes a lot from, it, it, I mean, it works in mountain bikes as well, but you know, for example, um, if you have somebody who rides, who races road and they are a breakaway specialist, well, mm-hmm. when I fit them, I don't want to fit them to that kind of that. I don't want to fit them to their maximum knee extension when they are, um, when they're just on their normal saddle position, because mm-hmm. they also have a position where they're up on the nose of their saddle they're in kind of a semi time trial position. And so mm-hmm. we do have to meet kind of halfway between those two positions because they are spending right. a lot of time training in that traditional saddle position, but it's also really important that they're not blowing their knees up when they're scooching forward on the saddle. Hmm. So, yeah. um, we do see that a little bit in some XC racing, but it's not that common. But the, my main point is that there is, there's an acceptable range and, uh, and it, it also, we have to take into account, you know, does this person have any previous surgeries? Do they have, um, hmm. do they have a hip replacement? Uh, can they not bring their hip into a lot of, into a lot of flexion? 
Mm-hmm. Um, is that a barrier for them? So then we can set them kind of on that more open uh, knee and hip angle uh, end of the range, and they still yeah. won't develop any like pain or dysfunction. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely an acceptable range uh, mm-hmm. for 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 that kind of knee angle, which is what a lot of people are most concerned about. They, that's like the element of bike fit to look at right. uh, for 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 most people. That's kind of what they would think of first: is oh, how much knee extension do I need? So yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, we do, uh, you know, kind of once we've kind of worked from the hip down, we'll look uh, look kind of forward. So the we don't really make any compensations uh, or accommodations from the hip down to fix cockpit. Um, we we want all we want those pedaling, pedaling mechanics to be sound, and then we kind of uh, evaluate from the hip forward from there. Okay. So um, and really, we're looking, you know, making sure we have, you know you know, bar angle, correct. Um, that brake angle reflects their terrain selection as well. Um, yeah, that's reflects- a tough one knowing where to put the brake levers. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's, um, there are a lot of opinions on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of right answers for, hmm. for, uh, for brake angle. So, um, I don't think there's one right answer. Hmm. So, um, you really like, and it really helps to be able to have, again, it's all part of that conversation that you start with. Um, and you're, you know, determining what kind of terrain are they riding? Are you riding really steep terrain? Um, mm-hmm. Are you just doing, you know, Wednesday night worlds for XC racing? Um, or are you just kind of riding a little bit of everything? So, um, mm-hmm. and it also depends, you know, are you jumping your bike a lot? Are you just looking to absolutely like smash through rock gardens? Uh, <laughs> there's... <laughs> And, and there's a, there's a lot that kind of goes into determining brake angle. Usually we're kind of making some sort of, uh, accommodation for a variety of terrain selection. So you're making me realize that we do a lot with our bikes. I mean, I hadn't even thought of how do you fit a bike if you're planning on doing a lot of jumping or now the question is what kind of jumping, I mean, are you doing, you know, huge stuff or is it slope style? Is it free ride? You know, is it just you're on trail rides, but sometimes you like to get a little air. I mean, yeah, we really demand a lot out of our bikes and our bodies too. And to, to be able to like quantify all of that and, and optimize it, it, it seems near impossible now that we talk about it. Like, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure <laughs> how it's even possible. It, you know, it is a lot, it, it is a, it is a lot to, a lot to take in. And I think that recognizing that bike fitting is a collaborative relationship between mm-hmm. the fitter and the rider uh, is a really important thing to uh, to understand. Um, yeah. This is usually we have you know feedback is very very important, especially like again with with uh, with the way cockpit the nuance of of cockpit setup is concerned. Mm-hmm. There's um, it's it's kind of you know we often often do follow up visits and you know mm-hmm. we say well how'd that feel you know what kind of stuff have you been riding lately you know, you know, how does your wrist feel with that? You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, there's, there's, yeah. Feedback is a very, very important component of, of fit relationship with a bike fitter. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a two way street for sure. So, yeah. um, I'm more than happy to, you know, give somebody a suggestion and expect to meet them halfway. So right. the, um, but yeah, I mean, br- brake angle, I mean, it can, it can, again, that can vary a lot. Same thing with bar width. Um, it, you know, it's really dependent upon, even upon riding style. Some people are, 
you know, have a lot of, uh, you know, they ride with a lot of shoulder retraction, their, their, um, their torsos, you know, closer to being like kind of parallel with the ground. Uh, mm -hmm. Other people are a little bit more upright. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's people across all disciplines doing any, any of those two things uh, within a whole range of body position. And yeah. a lot of people do it successfully. So, um, um, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot to kind of take in and mm -hmm. understand regarding, you know, even how somebody decides to position their body. Um, and that's yeah. going to help determine again, determine our break, break lever angle, determine bar width, uh, even like bar, you know, do we need a bar with a little bit more sweep? So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to cockpit adjustment and, um, it's, uh, I think, you know, again, having a collaborative relationship and having, you know, being able to digest feedback and turn that around into some sort of positive change, uh, is, uh, is something that everybody should look for in a, in a yeah. bike fitter. Yeah. That's interesting too, because, you know, I think a lot of us maybe assume that it's all comes down to like body measurements, right? So if, if I can show you how wide my shoulders are, how long my arms are, then you can tell me exactly what bar width I need. But as you're saying, it, it comes down to style as well. I mean, I may have the exact same body dimensions as someone else, but the types of trails I ride or the type of riding I do, or just, you know, what feels comfortable to me is going to be different than someone else. So it has to be a very individual process. Absolutely. Yeah. And there, I think, yeah, the, the take home on that is there are no hard and fast rules on some of these measurements. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, and there, there honestly, yeah, sometimes there's, there's some trial and error. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah, I think that, you know, the biggest goal really is just to kind of get the bike out of the way and mm. let people move the way that, that they, that they want to. Mm -hmm. um, and have that bike become an extension of you, um, without, you know, without putting your body in a position that's counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how much does a bike fit generally cost and, and how long does one usually take? Uh, well, um, you know, I'd say you, you know, depending on the bike fitter, um, you can expect to probably pay somewhere in the $200 range for a professional bike fit. Okay. Um, some, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more also depends on kind of the services that services that you're looking to, to, to have during that, mm -hmm. during that bike right. fit. So, you know, if you're going to talk about suspension setup and tuning, that's probably going to be a little bit more expensive than that. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my price range kind of varies between like 180 to about like $240, okay. uh, depending upon the bike. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can generally expect the fit to take about an hour, but sometimes kind of goes a little bit longer towards the 90 mm -hmm. minute, uh, timeframe, again, depending on the bike, depending on what we're trying to accomplish, uh, how mm -hmm. many things we're trying to, we're trying to remedy. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it allows us to really, you know, and taking, taking the amount of taking a good amount of time, uh, with somebody is really, really important. And again, yeah. like setting aside that time to have a conversation in the beginning, uh, is, is, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the cost too, I mean, to some people it might, I don't know, it might seem like a unnecessary expense, but then we're going to talk in a minute about component swaps and things like that. And, you know, if, if you're having saddle pain and you're like, well, maybe I need a new saddle and you buy another saddle and that doesn't fix it. And, you know, you try wider bars or, you know, there's all kinds of things we can try on our own. Um, and, 
you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So it seems like it's a good investment probably to have a professional help you with that and figure out exactly what you need to dial in a comfortable fit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, taking away some of that ambiguity uh, from mm-hmm. the get-go can be a really, really helpful thing to do. So the, uh, um, especially, you know, people go chasing the right saddle for so long when <laughs> yeah. sometimes they just need the, the, a better width than, than what yeah. they've been choosing. So um, yeah, and, and components in general, it's, uh, there's so many options out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to, the bike industry offers, you know, it's trying to offer more for people, you know, more mm-hmm. is, more is always viewed as better. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, um, but, um, but, you know, within that there's, I think that people can get bogged down in certain ideas or they, um, or they're just, they're kind of blown away by all the choices and they don't even know where to start. So mm-hmm. again, working with a bike fitter and, and, uh, having, you know, starting that professional relationship can really help kind of narrow down your, your, your options. And maybe you're changing something that you thought you never even had to, and you can, mm use a lot of the components that you already have on your bike. So oh, right. and, yeah, that's another big goal with, with most riders that I work with is say like, okay, well, what do we, what can we do with what we have right in front of us? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see how, how things change without buying a new bar or without buying <laughs> a new saddle. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause people can go chasing their tails, buying components and all of a sudden you're $500 deep and you're no better off than when you started. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it seems like traditionally bike fits were focused on efficiency and it was racers in particular who were interested in this and obviously would benefit from it the most. Um, but it sounds like your approach is different. I mean, you're all about sort of making the bike disappear, you know, looking for that, that point where you're comfortable. Um, and hopefully while you're comfortable, you're also more efficient, but, um, What's sort of the mix with your clientele? Are are most of them racing, or um, or a lot of them just just recreational riders who are looking for a more comfortable fit? You know, I'd say it's a it's a big mix. I definitely have some some uh, clients that are that are more performance oriented, mm-hmm. um, whether it's with mountain or out on the road. Um, and then that, that we're looking for basically the most powerful output, you know, with the performance client, we're looking for the most powerful output that is not causing pain. So we're really mm-hmm. trying to push that envelope. Um, and, but a lot of times that, that comfort, and especially, you know, in, in the mountain biking world too, that comfort can blend together with performance. Um, hmm. um, and I mean, same goes for, for road riding, but there, there are some exceptions that we do have to make. I mean, mm-hmm. the best time trial position is not going to be something that you can do for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, the, uh, you know, um, at least the fastest, uh, one. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, with, with mountain biking, I think there is a lot of crossover between performance and comfort. So, um, and yeah, again, the biggest thing is we just need to get the bike out of the way. We want it to be yeah. just kind of an extension of you and it's just a way to move through terrain. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and really comfort, efficiency, handling, they all play a part in making that happen. And they're, yeah. they're all interrelated to one another. Interesting. Well, we've kind of touched on a number of the different component swaps that, that may be necessary or that people can benefit from. So I guess I'm curious to know, like, what is the component that people end up 
needing to swap or adjust most often? Like what's the thing that on stock bikes, like it just, it doesn't fit for a lot of people for whatever reason, or, um, what's the thing that, you know, people kind of end up getting a lot of benefit out of swapping. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say shoes are actually kind of in the conversation huh. there. Um, Interesting. there, yeah, I have a lot, have, you know, especially when you're talking, you know, clipless shoes, there mm-hmm. are a lot of people who, um, there's, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of brands and they all have kind of different styles of fit. You know, they, ha- some mm-hmm. of them have reputations for being a more narrow fit and some have reputations for being a little bit more roomy in the toe box. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of, I see a lot of foot discomfort with shoes that are a little on the narrow side or, hmm. um, with cleat setup, um, uh, that, that can create discomfort in a shoe that's that uh that maybe maybe it's a little small um but it um there's there's people can be a little bit more sensitive to uh mm-hmm. to the width of a shoe uh and the construction of a shoe so um, yeah. i'd say shoes are definitely in that conversation um i'd say saddles are a big one though i mean that's mm-hmm. that's like i'd say you know it's one of the contact you know any of the contact points on your bike are are really uh are really going to be some of those primary, uh, component changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but saddle I'd say is probably one of the bigger ones. Um, there's, you know, it's very dependent upon, uh, you know, the width of, uh, your ischial tuberosities, which are, you know, kind of the bones that you sit on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some saddles have more cutouts or decompression, uh, engineered into them and some don't. Um, and a lot mm-hmm. of people can, you know, especially with mountain biking, or you're, you know, you're kind of riding a variety of grades. You're riding anything from flat terrain in one, you know, in one ride, you could be riding really flat undulating terrain, and then you could go up some really, really steep grades. And so right. some people are a little less tolerant of not having proper decompression in their saddle. Other people mm-hmm. are, you know, they can, they can ride anything, <laughs> but I'd say, uh, yeah, the saddle, uh, can be a bit, a bit of an issue. I mean, once we, you know, once we've established that it's not a tilt issue, um, and mm-hmm. that it, it's more of a, a width issue or a taper on the, on the saddle, or it's just a lack of decompression, then we can kind of move forward from there. But, um, mm-hmm. I'd say people, um, people probably, uh, change saddles more frequently than any other component, uh, of all the people huh. that I see. And a lot of times yeah. too, it's just a saddle also that is just at long past the end of its life saddles oh, you know, break in and they break down um and so you know yeah if, if if you can if you can flex that saddle down you know a certain you know if you if it if the middle of the saddle feels different than the back or the end of the saddle if it's mm-hmm. much more flexible much more squishy and you know you've been putting you've had you have a year or two on it it's probably mm-hmm. time to change the saddle and i'd say that oh, that's that's, uh, that's definitely uh definitely a very common component change is just saying we need to call it with this saddle it's it's done <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's like i never thought about it but that's just like running shoes you know like the foam yep. just kind of breaks down and after a while you got to get new shoes i mean for shoes it's a year or less and depending on how much you're riding you know you're putting a lot of your weight onto that saddle and it's, it's doing a lot of the work. Exactly. I mean, yeah, shoes, I mean, you're looking at, you know, I mean, it's like for a running shoe, you're looking anywhere from like three to 500 miles. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, I mean, you know, riding people can bag thousands of miles. I mean, an equivalent amount of hours, uh, in a year as to what three to 500 miles of running would, would, yeah. would take. So, um, yeah, it's no surprise that saddles can, you know, they can, wear out fairly quickly for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. So, um, how can you tell if your handlebars are too wide? It seems like mountain bikers for a long time now, we've been saying wider is better. You know, we want really wide bars and short stems, but at some mm-hmm. point they got to be too wide. Right. So how do you know when, when your bars are too wide? Uh, the, uh, the age old, uh, age old kind of adage of if you're clipping trees consistently, then your bars are probably too wide. <laughs> Definitely rings yeah. true. That's <laughs> so how we'll I go too, but yeah, that's, that's my rule of thumb. But the problem is all my trails are so narrow here. I'd be running like 600 millimeter bars and, right? and that's not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, it really bar width, it does have a lot of nuance. You have to, you have to look at, you know, look at your riding style. Are you really, mm-hmm. are you, and what you really like to ride? Are you kind of just, do you really like just like smash down trails and mm-hmm. be in that kind of retracted shoulder position constantly? Um, well then, you know, then a wider bar is probably going to suit you a little bit better. Um, mm. Are you looking for a combination of, you know, are you trying to improve your handling a little bit? Is if your bike is feeling a little sluggish or if you're, you know, having trouble negotiating all the switchbacks on your local trail system uh, mm. without hitting your knees, <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> we might be looking at looking at a shorter bar. Um, yeah. The, again, there's a lot of nuance, but, you know, I think that most people can run a little shorter than, what comes stock for them or what they, hmm. what they, okay. what they try and run. Um, yeah. there's, I mean, there's a whole range of, of, you know, proportions and whatnot. So there's no hard and fast rule. I know there's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of opinions and even some formulas out there for determining bar width. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they're all based on assumptions about body proportions and bike geometry and those yeah. just vary so much. So, um, you know, wider isn't always necessarily better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are even big riders who probably could use more than an 800 millimeter bar. Um, yeah. so I've um, tested be- bars with eight twenties. I mean, they're, they keep going up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, those, especially those extremes are, have been yeah. underserved in the past for, mm-hmm. you know, really big, uh, and really small riders. Um, and I think, you know, now that we're kind of starting to see that economy of scale kind of improve, mm-hmm. um, and more people are riding. Uh, I think there's more offerings for things that match. Um, yeah. But I mean, if you look at if you if you look at uh, if you look at any like pro lineup, whether it's like a downhill race, enduro race, cross country race, mm-hmm. the bar width is all over the board, um, mm-hmm. and a yeah. lot of it has to do with proportions. Um, and uh, again, uh, some people just really like being in a really you know retracted sh- you know shoulder position. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the problem that we run into is when we go too wide, we do start to get into this position where we're in such a deep shoulder retraction from the get go, just to be in a, a, a balanced position on the bike. Mm-hmm. They are actually losing leverage from our shoulder. We're actually mm-hmm. putting our shoulder at a mechanical disadvantage. And that's, that's something that, that I try to look for, uh, when, when, uh, we're fitting like somebody with uh, with what who has wide bars and who's like either complaining of shoulder pain or is looking to improve their handling. Um, those um, you know those wider bars really do they facilitate a lot of elbow bend right off the mm-hmm. bat. So and if yeah. that's not something if that's not what they've you know if that's not how they like to move or that's not their their position during their in their riding style then then that's something that we have to change. So yeah yeah I mean you make a good point that. Um, a lot of folks maybe could go a little narrower than whatever their stock, uh, bar is 
And I'm sure that's on purpose, right? I mean, bike companies are going to put the widest bar that they think people are going to need. And then obviously you can cut them down. But I guess a lot of us don't, don't think to do that. We're like, I paid for this whole bar. I'm not (laughs) not taking any any pieces off. I I am not letting one piece of this go. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think bike manufacturers, they do, they are trying to, they're trying to serve the most people. So they're not Mm going to, yeah, they're not going to spec a, a bar that's going to be too narrow uh, for right. a handful of people. They're they're going with the the greatest common denominator, mm-hmm. and then you know I think there is some expectation that we fine tune bar width uh, as we go, um, and it can again it can be something you know you don't have to you know you don't have to bite off a lot right off the bat. You can mm-hmm. you know you can experiment with it a little bit, um, and you can make small incremental changes. I think that you know especially in bike fit, if we do have to make a large change if there's some if there's a big change that we have to make during uh during our session often i won't make that entire change right away we'll meet Mm. we'll kind of meet halfway and we'll you know get some time on the bike and then we will uh we'll come back and revisit the fit and then kind of make some more change okay yeah that makes sense interesting so um, I'm curious to know if you have a rule of thumb for setting seat height for mountain biking. And obviously these days, most mountain bikes are going to have a dropper post. And so you're going to have multiple positions uh, that are available to you. And, you know, some of the rules of thumb that I've heard are, um, you know, you want to start maybe to find your seat height, put the seat, um, at the height of your hip. And then there are other things you can do to like measure different formulas or things like that. Is are do rules of thumb like that work, or is it more um, sort of situational and, and personal, depending on the rider and what they want to do? It yeah, it really is situational and personal, uh, depending on depending on the rider. Um, there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, bottom bracket height really varies. So a lot of mm-hmm. you know that, oh, right. that kind of hip height um, can um, yeah can depends be a on your bottom deceiving. bracket. Yep. Yeah. So, um, even like it can depend on what, how big your tires are that you're running. So bike fit and again, <laughs> right. bike fit is it's uh millimeters matter it. So it's, um, you know, that very, that, that large variation can really have an impact. Um, mm-hmm. even that small of a variation can have an impact. So, mm-hmm. um, another one that's out there is, you know, sit on the, sit on the saddle and you should straight have a straight leg and your heel should touch the pedal. Um, but that, again, that's really dependent upon the stack height of your shoes. Um, <laughs> are you running flat shoes or are you running clipless shoes? Cause clipless shoes oh, have yeah. some, you know, they have some plantar flexion, which is kind of like toe down position a little bit mm-hmm. engineered into them a lot. You know, they don't have a full heel, like a flat pedal, uh, a flat shoe would. So, mm-hmm. um, right. a lot of the, a lot of them, a lot of those things will get you somewhere, but it, even despite that, it won't be close enough. Um, mm-hmm. I know yeah. that sounds kind of elitist, but, um, <laughs> and I'm here, you're asking a bike fitter that, that, right. that, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you can do a rough setup, but, um, you know, I'd say you can use that as, as a gen, you know, there's a lot of things you can use as a general guide, but the more time you put on a bike, the more you're going to notice that, uh, those kind of discrepancies between what's ideal and what's kind of a rough setup. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. And with a dropper post too, is it ever, I mean, when you're setting up a dropper post, you're basically just considering the two extremes, right? You're assuming people are going to ride it either fully extended or fully dropped. And in the fully dropped, I guess you're assuming 
that they're not sitting on the saddle, right? So really you're just optimizing it for the the top position. Is that right? Yes. Optimizing it for the top position. Occasionally I have people come in that, you know, they're like, yeah, I like to kind of just run it just to, you know, touch lower than the top position. Um, <laughs> but mostly, yeah, people, you know, people, they come in and they've been, you know, they run at the top position and that's their pedaling position and they drop it down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, you know, fitting dropper posts has, um, overall, I'd say, you know, uh, f- fit hasn't really been affected by dropper posts until very recently. Mm-hmm. And I mean, aside from maybe, you know, an extra lever crowding your cockpit, um, back yeah. when we, you know, everybody was running a front derailleur <laughs> and, <laughs> and a dropper post. Right. I mean, um, and you know, and we even have, you know, suspension lockout levers now and, um, but I think one by drivetrains have really solved some of those cockpit crowding issues. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but yeah, d- fitting a dropper post used to be pretty simple because, you know, we only had, you know, 125, 150, maybe 170 mils of travel, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that, you know, several years ago at the time there was lots of room for adjustability, you know, without worrying about maximum or minimum seat post insertion. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but now it's like we have 200 millimeter plus droppers out there and yeah. and we have people trying to spec them on legs that are long and not long enough or bikes that weren't right. really designed for that much post yeah um, and I that's mean, interesting I have, yeah people are, are using you as their consultant i guess in some cases saying like hey what's the longest dropper i can fit in this thing because the math is complicated it's not yeah. it's not like you can just you know there's you no just, easy answer because we're all chuck it in there. Legs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a case, uh, just, uh, last week, um, and they came in with a 185 mil dropper. Um, they kind of built this bike up and really, I mean, this is also kind of speaking to the pandemic situation with the scarcity of bike components mm, yeah. in general, which does present its own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they had a, a 185 mil dropper post in their bike and, they had it totally slammed like collar to frame and, yeah. uh, and their seat was too high in the top position. And right. so we had to, luckily, you know, it was a big bike component company and they, you know, have, you know, shims available to kind of reduce the travel in, in their post. Mm-hmm. And so we had to have a conversation about, well, how much do you think we need to <laughs> shim this travel to be able to make this post work? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was ni- it's nice that a lot of companies are offering, you know, shimming options because um, mm-hmm. I think we are kind of running into some of those, like, let's, let's have the most travel in our posts as, as possible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can, you know, we can chalk it up to part scarcity a little bit, but we can always put a little <laughs> bit of the blame on the idea of more being more. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's not unique to mountain biking, but it's, uh, it's right. definitely, uh, pr- pretty prevalent in mountain biking. That's a perfect example of what you're saying earlier about how the fit process works. You know, like, seems like that would be a red flag. Somebody brings their bike in and you see that that seat post is slammed as far down as it can go. And, you know, either they were really lucky and they got exactly the right, yep. <laughs> right size post or, uh, there's a chance that it's, it's going to be too tall for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's definitely not an uncommon thing to see. Yeah. So. Well, what's the best way for folks to figure out the proper bike frame size? You know, a lot of, a lot of people are ordering bikes online now and a lot of brands, you know, they talk about 
sizing in terms of like overall rider height. You know, they might have a chart that shows if you're this tall, this is what size you need. But are there other uh, sort of key measurements that buyers should consider um, in addition to just kind of going off the how tall are you chart? Yeah, you know, um, you know, in general, kind of doubling back to the dropper post thing, bike manufacturers are really generally doing a great job kind of specking the right frame size ranges with appropriate mm. dropper travels. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with, with frame sizing, you know, I think height is, you know, kind of like in, in the realm of bars, but height is generally a pretty good predictor of inseam length. Okay. Um, so typically it's a, it's a relationship that works quite well in sizing a bike. Um, mm. it, you know, it works good enough. Um, there are, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. there are always exceptions to the rule. There are really lanky riders. There's riders with really long torsos and short legs. Um, mm. and then there's also, you know, kind of, there are certain brands that do have reputations for building longer bikes, shorter bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is, um, that, you know, that riders do have to do some of their own due diligence and kind of researching the way that, you know, the way that bike companies size their bikes, uh, mm-hmm. and paying attention to reach numbers. Um, I think that, um, I think that riders are more savvy than ever. So mm-hmm. those numbers matter more to people than they used mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's also a really good reason to have a good relationship with a bike shop and, you know, trusting, trusting what, you know, trusting their knowledge of, the of the companies that they that they sell Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense yeah um so yeah i i once went in for a bike fitting many years ago and uh you know after doing all the measurements and everything uh the fitter basically said you know like really this this bike is not the right size for you i mean this thing is it's a little too small and you know there are things we can do to adjust it um, in terms of like, you know, getting a different stem on there or things like that. Does that happen often where you find that people just, just have totally the wrong frame size or are you able to kind of make it work for them? It does. Um, it does happen. I'd say it happens a lot with, with road. I'd say it's easier to have to remedy with a road bike because Hmm. you can really, you can alter stem length a lot more, um, and not really sacrifice handling um Uh as much on on a on a road bike but i mean you you change your stem your stem length by you know 20 millimeters on a mountain bike and it's going to either feel like i mean typically with how mountain bikes are set up now with really short stems you add 20 millimeters to that and it's going to feel super tracky um um, especially you pair that with a you know the the wide bars that it probably came with and it's Mm -hmm. yeah you're gonna feel like you can't turn that thing um so you know there's uh there's less accommodation that we can make um, with, with mountain biking. Um, but, uh, you know, and it really affects those people who are kind of those in-between sizers and, you know, mm-hmm. those people who are five ten, five eleven, or they're, you know, five, four, five, five, they're kind of in between all these, all these different, uh, size ranges. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I think generally people tend to err on a slightly bigger bike, um, uh, if they are in between those, those hmm. sizes. And I think that's generally good advice. I think, hmm. um, you know, if you're, if you're in between, un- unless you have a really, uh, playful jibby riding style, which there are plenty of guys in town that I know do, and they like to run a, 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 a smaller frame size. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, the, 
I think, you know, again, like having a conversation with someone and having them be honest with what kind of riding they like to do. Um, and if they are kind of in between those sizes, so, I mean, you're not going to, if you're in between the large and extra large, you're going to pick the large if you jump your bike all the time. So, uh, it's, uh, um, but you know, if you're, if you're smashing, smashing trail and you're, you know, just looking to go really, really fast in a relatively straight line, then you kind of, you can err on the longer bike. So, Hmm. um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's kind of a kind of a challenge for for some of those people that are that are in between. And then there's uh, some accommodations that we can make during the fit. We've had a lot of progress in mountain bike frame geometry, so mm-hmm. we're we're seeing a lot. We're seeing steeper seat post angles, so that reach while pedaling really isn't an issue. It's more about hmm. how that bike's feeling while while you're while you're descending. So, um, and yeah. so again, like yeah, this whole you know, there's there's definitely some ideas in in bike fitting with like you know you know this ideal like knee over pedal spindle. It's always been there, um, <laughs> and really like with most modern mountain bikes, the knee's always ahead of the pedal the pedal spindle. Like you can't get it anywhere close to that. And I mean, <laughs> people still don't have knee pain despite that. So. Um, yeah. so we can kind of make some accommodations, you know, with, you know, saddle fore aft a little bit in those cases, it's not common. It's not something I like to do generally. Um, but there, there are definitely some tweaks that we can make, uh, to, to bike fit. But a lot of the time it's just, yeah, you got to get that frame sizing, right. Um, and, mm. you know, if you're on a, if you're on a really big bike, there's not much you can do to change that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what are some of the challenges to fitting extremely tall or short riders? Um, one of the things that we recently looked at in an article was, um, crank arm length and Mm -hmm. how that's kind of a standard thing. I mean, whether you get a small or an extra large bike, they're all going to ship generally with the same, uh, cranks on them. So are are there certain things that are, are more challenging for, riders who are at either extreme, uh, end of the size spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely at both ends of the spectrum. We see, we see challenges. I mean, going to, going to straight to cranks, um, you know, uh, a lot of it's, you know, uh, there's just, yeah, not as many offerings for smaller riders. Um, mm-hmm. and then we're also looking at like ground clearance. You know, I think that, right. you know, if possible, we would run, we would run cranks that are a lot longer. It would give a much more stable platform mm-hmm. while descending. Um, but mm-hmm. pedaling those cranks th- that are any longer than kind of the parameters that we're working with would, you know, just create a lot of pedal strike issues, especially yeah. with how long and low these bikes are getting, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, um, we can't really, it's, it's hard to justify running a longer crank unless you're never mm-hmm. pedaling. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's something, and again, it's also like economy of scale, right? If there isn't enough demand for, for that kind of like shuttle only cranks, then, uh, then it's just not going to happen. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that we could, you know, I mean, you could, you could have, you, you could go longer with cranks, but I don't think that it's, you know, based on the parameters involved with pedaling and bottom bracket height, it's just, we're kind of constrained by that. Um, so yeah. I don't think that it's necessarily ideal for descending mechanics, but it's the best that we can work with. Um, hmm. and then, um, you know, you can also talk about, um, uh, you know, stance width as well, kind of in that conversation. I think smaller hmm. riders have a tough time, small and ri- small and big riders really have a tough time getting, uh, getting that, um, that uh, stance width correct. Uh, I think that if there was some accommodation, you know, more options for spindle width, 
Uh, I think that would be, uh-huh. and like, you can just like crank, uh, you know, crank spacing. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that it would be a lot easier for people on those, those extreme ends of the spectrum to be more comfortable. Um, mm. cause ideally you want, you know, it would be nice to be able to, you know, line up the hip over the pedal. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, it makes, it makes biomechanical sense. Um, and you know, um, it, there's just not a lot of options for people that again, have either really wide hips or really, really narrow hips. Um, a hmm. lot, a lot of time, you know, we're getting into, you know, especially with like, you know, like the bigger spacings it's, you know, we see a lot of people with, with, uh, with pedal spacing, that's probably all on the wider side. Um, hmm. it doesn't necessarily generate pain in all, in all cases, but I have seen some cases where there's, you know, a smaller rider with knee pain and we're just doing the best that we can to narrow that stance with as much as we can. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's really noticeable if for anybody who steps onto like a fat bike, you know, where yep. you have that super wide stance and, and it is, it is a lot different for sure and can cause some pain. That Q angle is, uh, is, is really dramatic on a fat bike. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's, there's a lot, there's a fair amount of people that just aren't tolerant of that. That's, mm. you know, um, it's just kind of, uh, kind of a, a harsh reality of, of that, that wider spacing. So, yeah. um, another thing that, you know, um, that we used to have, you know, we, we talked about bar width already with, with bigger riders. Um, I think mm-hmm. there are some, you know, there are some taller riders out there that, um, you know, that could do for a wider bar. Um, and they just mm-hmm. don't have that kind of, uh, that kind of availability. Um, and then, you know, it used to be C2 bangle used to be a real, challenge for larger riders as well um mm-hmm. we used to have these more relaxed seat tube angles and they would just be so far off the back of the bike by the time they're in oh, a right. correct position that yeah the balance you know cl- climbing would just they just be you know their climbing p- position would just be really really challenging and they'd always mm. be fighting to keep that front wheel on the ground so yeah um yeah that's definitely uh definitely something that has improved by with all these, you know, more modern, you know, all mountain enduro kind of trail bike geometries, uh, with those steeper seat, uh, seat tube angles. And that's, that's really helped out, uh, the larger rider population. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, one of the things that sounds like it's unique about your approach to bike fitting is that you also provide recommendations for corrective exercises. So I think in the past and and even still today, a lot of bike fitting is done like in a bike shop, um, whereas yours is done in more of like a clinical setting, I guess. Um, so why combine the two? Like, what are the advantages? What are you able to do um, given like kind of this approach to bike fitting? Yeah. So, um, you know, a, a fair amount of the individuals that I see for, for bike fits are dealing with some sort of discomfort, some sort of pain. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of the times the, the bike changing the bike fit alone will again, remedy that issue. Uh, but sometimes mm-hmm. we've kind of gone so far down a road or they're a multi-sport athlete and the musculoskeletal condition has, just kind of gone beyond what the bike fit itself can remedy. We have like an active mm-hmm. tendon issue or, or whatnot. And it, yeah. we need to give it a push with, with rehab exercise and corrective exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
and that will be that will help them kind of get out of that a little quicker um, mm -hmm. and or it or it will be the answer to getting them out of pain uh, and then they'll be you know they'll be in a in a better position on their bike once uh, you know while they're working on these uh, on kind of strengthening the strengthening the musculotendinous complex and um, mm -hmm. and um, and improving you know sometimes we do need to improve biomechanics like that was a it, it was a problem uh, that, that, mm -hmm. that created some of this issue, but the bike wasn't helping either. So, yeah. um, yeah, so there's, um, there's definitely, uh, it's definitely a nice component for people because, um, they, you know, not again, not every, not every bike fit will fix every issue. And sometimes mm -hmm. we do have underlying issues too, that kind of are masquerading as on the bike issues. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's nice to be able to look at things through a clinical lens and, and, not see, you know, not see everything as a nail. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> right. we don't want to just be a hammer. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And I imagine it, it potentially goes both ways, right? You have a patient who comes in and they say, Oh, I have this pain. And, and you say, well, have you considered your bike fit <laughs> versus, yep, yep. and then you also have people coming in for a bike fit and then you're like, well, you know, we can do this, but really you also kind of need to work on this. Um, in exactly. terms of like physical therapy or, or whatever the case may be. Exactly. Yeah. I have, you know, I have, I have patients become bike fit clients and bike fit clients become patients. Um, hmm. you know, the, the, uh, the kind of physical therapy side of things I think is, it really offers a lot and it's a good blend and, uh, of, uh, of, of offerings between that and the bike fit. Um, I'd say like, again, like I am a chiropractor by trade, but, uh, most people would describe me as more of a mix between a chiropractor and a physical therapist. Um, mm. so there's, you know, yeah. placing a big emphasis on, on, on rehab and corrective exercise. Um, it's, uh, it's, it gets really good results. It's good for, good for patients because it's empowering. They, they, mm -hmm. they're not reliant upon a provider to fix something for them every day or every week mm. or every month. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then also during the bike fit process, there's education about bike fit. You know, we're always, we're, we're chatting a lot of the time. So, um, <laughs> keying them in on things that they can do on their own, um, with their bike fit, things that they can mm -hmm. recognize, uh, you know, say they do have to, you know, something, you know, they have a crash or they have to change a component or something. There's some things that they can look for, um, that I educate them on that, um, they'll be able to do on their own. My goal is for them to not be, to not be totally reliant upon me. Um, I'm kind right. of, a, I'm helping them navigate this and, uh, yeah. and that's kind of where I want to, that's where I want to stay. Yeah. That's awesome. Sounds like a, a really excellent approach and, um, clearly, yeah, you, you know, a lot about this topic and are passionate, not just because, um, you're a writer, but this is, I mean, this is what you do. This is your, your job is to make, yes sure that people are able to move and, and to, you know, be comfortable, uh, physically, no matter what they're doing. Yeah. It's a livelihood and a passion for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, uh, Adam, for taking the time to talk to us. I, I learned a ton and I'm sure our listeners learned enough, but they're probably also going to have more questions for you as well. Um, so there is definitely more info at apexchirobellingham.com when we'll have that uh, link for you in the description. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.